Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You know, last week we celebrated the 4th of July, and part of the sermon I talked about freedom and the Declaration of Independence and how that was, in many ways, the beginning of the war. And it's interesting because if you think about the cross of Christ, where he defeated the power of sin and death, it was the end of the war. It's a little different. We have our freedom already in Christ because of the cross. The Declaration of Independence was just the beginning of that war. And it took the war to get that freedom. But our war has already been won. We have that freedom now. But if you noticed toward the end of Romans 7... We still have battles. And it's interesting, there was, a, there was a phrase that has been used on and off during wartime, and in particular was used at the end of the Second World War. And I heard it a couple of times, and you may have heard it. The war is over, but the battle goes on. You ever heard that? The battles go on after the, after the end of the war? Because they manifest themselves in various and sundry ways, even though the war is over. And I want to give you a a couple of examples of that. First is, for those of you that heard me refer to this a couple of months ago, I was reading this book called Bonhoeffer. And I actually finished it. It's a thick book. But it was really a great book. And if you don't know who Bonhoeffer is, Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor that pastored before the Second World War and during the time of Hitler. And he was part of a conspiracy. In fact, there was more than one conspiracies, but part of a conspiracy to have Hitler assassinated. And it was interesting because Hitler eventually found out about it. A bomb blew off, and it's, it's, it's amazing that Hitler survived. His table leg actually saved him. Um, But he found out who was part of the conspiracy, and Bonhoeffer was a part of the planning of the conspiracy. So Bonhoeffer was arrested, and he ended up surviving literally for years, having been arrested. But virtually when the war was over, the Allies were outside of Berlin. And Hitler was three weeks away from committing suicide, knowing the war was over. Let me read to you a couple of excerpts toward the end of the book here. Bonhoeffer's sentence of death was almost certainly by decree of Hitler himself, as were the death sentences of Oster and Donyenyi. Even Hitler must have known that all was lost for him and for Germany, and that the 
that killing others made no particular sense. But he was, he was every atom a petty man. He was accustomed to diverting exceedingly precious resources of time, personnel, and gasoline for the purposes of his own revenge. Two weeks later, on April 23rd, the Allies mar- marched into Flossenburg. That's where Bonhoeffer was killed. In another week, Hitler committed suicide, and the war was over. So three weeks before uh, Hitler committed suicide, Bonhoeffer was executed. So the war was virtually over. Hitler knew it. But the battles went on. And when the atomic bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, for all intents and purposes, the war was over. And then the treaty was signed with Japan, and the war was over. But for months, if not years, there were Japanese soldiers that were holed up in bunkers and on islands that had no idea the war was over and the battles continued. Battles continue after wars are over. And that's really what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 7. The war is over. Jesus won the war. But battles go on spiritually for us. And so we have this tongue twister in Romans chapter 7. In fact, I love to read it. It's even hard to read fast. You have to actually read it semi-slow. Let me read it to you. For we, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do is what I do. You like that? Did you get all that? Repeat it. No. I mean, you know, it is so difficult. You literally have to slow down and you have to process it because your head spins when someone reads it to you. But basically what Paul is saying is he's saying, look, on the one hand, the law is good. And earlier in his life, he misunderstood the purpose of the law. He thought that the law was there so that he might earn his way to salvation. And that's not really, as he discovered, the purpose of the law. In fact, if you look at what he writes in Romans 1 through 4 earlier in this book, and if you read what he writes in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, and in particular Philippians chapter 3, He basically says that all these things that I thought I was doing in order to earn salvation are worthless. Because the victory was won by Christ on the cross. It's all about mercy and grace. It's not about me earning my way. But the law is good. And this battle that I have is this battle with my flesh. And it's a spiritual battle that goes on because of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I continue to face these temptations and these trials. 
And it's interesting because he says the good that I want to do. You know, the reality is not everybody wants to do good. That's the reality. Not everybody wants to do good. Not everybody cares about the good or doing good. And frankly, not even every Christian wants to do good. That's even part of the battle. Do you really want to do what's good? Do you really want to do what's right? Let me throw one out there that's a for example that might catch you off guard. You know, one of the good things to do as a Christian is to forgive. In fact, we're supposed to forgive. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus tells a couple parables about forgiveness. Not every Christian wants to forgive. Did you ever notice that? It's not even supposed to be an option. See, we don't always do the good that we're supposed to do. We don't even always want to do the good we're supposed to do. But Paul's saying, look, I want to do the good. And I don't always do the good. Even though I want to do the good. Why is that? What's going on in me? And what's these battles about that I'm fighting? See, because part of it is, you know, when David faced Goliath in the Old Testament, there's this giant. And the giant has all the tools. And you would look at these two, this wimpy little kid with a slingshot and this giant with all the worldly possessions that you would think would make him the mighty warrior. And what does David say? The battle belongs to the Lord. When we begin to recognize the battle belongs to the Lord, that's when we'll begin to get it. That's the first step. Instead of us trying to fight it of our own will, That's why Paul gets to the end of this long tongue twister in Romans 7. And he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who what? Gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Well, there's your key. And this is a twofold thing that Paul's talking about, by the way. It's not just one, it's twofold. The first is he's saying, he already gave us the victory. The war's over. I already learned about how I couldn't earn my way to heaven. I already fought that battle. I already figured that part out. I tried to earn my way. I thought I was on the right track. I was a good Pharisee. I was a good Jew. I was doing it wrong. This is about God's grace and mercy. It's salvation through Jesus Christ and trusting in Him as my Savior and Lord because I can't do it. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter. Everyone needs a Savior. Now let's move on to the other part. That's becoming holy. That's becoming sanctified. That's becoming Christ-like. 
And if we're honest, we all know we fail. The only one that didn't fail is Jesus. And Jesus was tempted. And Jesus was tempted on multiple occasions. So let's get realistic about being tempted. If you think you're beyond temptation, you're in trouble already. No one is beyond temptation. No one. Everyone is tempted. Jesus was tempted not just the three times he was tempted on the cross. Come down from that cross. Call on legion of angels. I would have. Jesus didn't. He was tempted. The apostles were tempted. They failed. Paul was tempted. He messed up. Everyone is tempted. And the temptation comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are assaulted. And we need to be realistic and honest. See, now, oftentimes when we hear that, our mind rushes to just all those big temptations that are out there. You know, the biggies. We always do that. It's so much more than that. When you really understand life in Christ as you grow and mature, there are much more subtle temptations. And if you consider yourself a really mature Christian, what about the temptation of being slothful? Of growing slack in your relationship with the Lord. Slack in your willingness to serve, to give. Because that never ends. When you begin to, to consider that retirement mentality, you know, like been there, done that, I don't see that in Scripture. Or as I already said, forgiveness. That's one that Christians aren't always really good at. And you know, if you don't forgive, you know what it leads to? Gossip, slander, rage. I've been the benefit of all those. We face battles. And the only way that we win those battles is when we recognize that the battle is the Lord's. We need His tools, His instruments. Ephesians 6 talks about it's a spiritual battle. We need the Word of God because that's what guides us. That's what Paul's talking about. We have the law to guide us. If you really understand the point and purpose of the law, it's to guide us. We need the Holy Spirit because we can't do it. And that's why Paul goes on to say, it's an interesting next line that he says. He says, therefore, there's no condemnation now for those that are found in Christ Jesus. Whoa, didn't we just talk about that, you know, Paul, we struggle. We don't even do the good that we want to do. Well, then he says, Jesus gives us the victory. Okay. So what do we do with that? There's no condemnation. Great. So what does that mean? That means on the one hand, don't go on a guilt trip. 
If there's no condemnation, don't start saying, oh, man, I blew it again. I screwed up. I'm just a mess. You know what? You are. We all are. You don't get into a guilt trip funk because then you know what you do? You just use it as an excuse. You let it go and you move on. Everybody fails. Everybody sins. No one's perfect. You move on. Satan would love to keep you down. But on the other hand, you don't rationalize and say, well, I guess I'm just going to keep messing up in this area. Well, I guess this is my area to sin. I'll just keep doing it. That goes back to Romans 6 that we talked about last week. We just keep on sinning so that grace abounds. There we go. No problem. That's not the deal either. We keep fighting the battle because we have the Word of God and we have the Holy Spirit and we have His grace to walk, wash over us. And then the battles just get more complicated and more challenging because Satan has a way and the world gets more challenging. And relationships sometimes get more complicated. You keep fighting the battle. And then Paul goes on to write in Romans 8, you confront the flesh. You confront it. You don't dodge it. You confront it. And you continue to fight the battle by changing your mind constantly. You grow. The mind also involves the will that you have to willfully make a decision that you're not going to live in the flesh, that you're not going to fall to temptation, that you're going to grow in the knowledge and love of the Lord, that you're going to stay in His Word. It's a constant changing of your mind. Romans 12, as he goes on to write, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Your mind needs to be renewed constantly. It's so easy to fall into the trap of the world, to the lure of the world, or Satan, or your own flesh. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Keep that mind functioning and growing in the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to renew you day by day. That's why He died for you. That's why He won the war. I want to go to the gospel reading just for a second. You know, sometimes when you fight those battles, you get tired. When you fight battles all the time, you get tired. Do you ever get tired? I get tired sometimes. I'm getting ready to go on a mission trip to Tanzania this week. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a second. Going with the Vanderslice family. Steve's going to pray for us during the announcements because we need it. 
But it got me thinking over past mission trips, because I do that sometimes, I get a little nostalgic. And one of the mission trips I took about 20 years ago was to the Dominican Republic. And one of the things I did down there with Scott Pallon was we broke up sidewalk. Was that the Dominican or was that Honduras? What's that, Dominican? That was about 20 years ago, right? We were younger. You almost got heat exhaustion. You remember that? I remember we were exhausted. We were breaking sidewalk up with sledgehammers so that they could put in a new sidewalk. And I remember what I wanted to do at the end of that day was go back to the hotel, get a cold one, get in the air conditioning, and lay down on the bed. Right? I was exhausted. I wasn't used to that kind of work. I have a desk job. I do yard work a little bit. The trip that we're taking now to Tanzania, it's a spiritual battleground right now. That's what we're going to do. It's completely different. Bishop Mukiwa, our friend, has been suspended because what's happened here to the Anglican Church and the Episcopal Church is happening in spades over there. And we're concerned about the orphanage. And so we're going for a week, the Vanderslices and I, to make sure that he's okay and the orphanage is okay. And I could go into detail as to how everything happened over there and what happened. You just need to keep us in your prayers because it's a spiritual battleground. I'd rather break sidewalk. I really would. And I'm 20 years older. It's a different world. When I was ordained over 30 years ago, the church was different. The trials and temptations and challenges were different. Our world's gotten more complicated. The church has gotten more complicated. I had a one-year-old, one child. Life was simple. They eventually became teenagers. Life got more complicated. The church and the culture changed rapidly. We're in a spiritual battleground, folks. It's a different world. And the battles we face today are different than we did 30 years ago. Make no mistake. The battles I face myself as an older adult are different. But the tools are the same. Day by day. 
a daily inventory of myself. What am I facing? My temptations, my trials, my challenges. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being before His Word and before His presence. Recognizing who's fighting the battle. Because I can't. Going into situations, I have no idea what I'm doing. But I know He's calling me. We face battles every day. But the war's over. He's won the victory. He gives us every tool we need. His word, his his Holy Spirit, and the power of prayer. And each other. And we need to keep fighting the battles until we see him face to face. Let's pray. Lord God, it's a challenging time in our culture, in your church. And we all face our individual battles, our struggles, our pain, our sin, our our failures. And collectively, Lord, we pray that we might be mindful of the temptations and trials. That daily we might come to you. Confessing. That daily we might come to you before your word. Having our mind renewed. That day by day we might come to you prayerfully being filled with your Holy Spirit, being equipped for the battles, and that we together as your church might stand side by side, holding each other up, encouraging each other. For the war is over, but the battles go on. Help us daily to confront the world, the flesh, and the devil. Equipped by your Holy Spirit. 
encouraged by your church until we see you face to face, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.